Are you here? Please, you will forgive the ubiquity of the question, but I'm viewing this entire operation from the blind side of the microphone. You're viewing it from the wide vista of your imagination. You're seeing everything. I'm just seeing these words. So, are you here? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to the Paul Leslie Hour. Just a few announcements I need to make before our special guest joins us. First thing I want to say is this. It's official. Official. As of this very episode, we're celebrating 19 years of these programs, the Paul Leslie Hour. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Okay, now the second thing, telling you about the special guest. On this episode, we welcome Harry Allen, tenor saxophonist, recording artist, composer, arranger, producer in the world of jazz. Harry Allen is a name that means something. To hear Harry's work is more than just listening to music. It's an experience. It's why your host, Paul E. Leslie, asked Harry to be the guest for this amazing anniversary transmission. Jazz guitarist, singer, and our past guest, John Pizzarelli, said this about Harry. Harry Allen's playing is nothing less than perfect. The late jazz critic and lyricist Gene Lees wrote this. Stan Getz was once asked his idea of the perfect tenor saxophone soloist. His answer was, My technique, Al Cohn's ideas, and Zoot's time. The fulfillment of that ideal may well be embodied in Harry Allen. One more thing before we get to the interview. You should know that the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by viewers and listeners like you. Please help keep this going. Move us into our 20th year. Visit thepaulleslie.com slash support. And in advance, we thank you. All right. Please, by the way, stay tuned after the interview for a message from Paul. Just a moment of your time. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Harry Allen. Let's do this. Gentlemen, ah, now we're cooking. And I, I apologize for the dark glasses. I'm having an eye issue and, uh, I, I have to wear them. I'm sorry about this. No problem. I was actually thinking you looked really cool. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm very, very excited. This is a man I've gotten a lot of pleasure, a lot of joy listening from. He is a fantastic saxophone player. He's made some brilliant recordings. I hope you all, if you haven't, Please check them out. Harry Allen is with us. He has been called by C. Michael Bailey, the Frank Sinatra of the tenor saxophone, a master interpreter of standards. Thank you so much for joining us here as we bring in our 19th year of the show. 
Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Congratulations on 19 years. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. So tell everybody out there that's watching, you are in a, an interesting place right now. Uh, interesting if you're an American. Where are you right now? I'm in Kisleg, Germany. In Germany? Which is uh, it's right near the, it's, uh, it's in Germany, right near the border of Austria and Switzerland. About how often would you say you, you tour internationally? Oh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's just as an approximation. I probably come to Europe five or six times a year, um, you know, and uh, up until the pandemic, I would go to Japan once every couple of years. Uh, I just played in Canada last, last week or the week before. Um, so a fair, fair amount, fair amount of international. Would you say there's any differences in the way the audience in Europe, for example, or in Japan, the way they react to jazz music as opposed to here in the United States? I've never really felt that. I know, I know a lot of people say, you know, Europe, uh, appreciates jazz more than the, the United States. A lot of, a lot of great musicians uh, starting, you know, way back, Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster, they all moved to Europe, um, City Bichet. But uh, I don't really get that feeling. I think that the audiences all over the world are, are pretty similar, with, with the one exception of uh, Japan. Uh, the audiences in Japan maybe are a little more knowledgeable about the musician's career and you know you, you have uh people come up and talk to you and they have all your records and uh, so so maybe <clears throat> maybe the japanese jazz audiences are a little more dedicated uh, possibly but i think as, in terms of appreciation it's pretty much the same all over the world what has always been the purpose of the art you create um, I don't know if there is a purpose other than the fact that I like playing saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, the, the, I'm trying to create a mood when I'm playing, uh, you know, one, one song I'm trying to, to be sad or beautiful. And then another song I'm trying to be energetic and, um, make, make people feel like dancing. Um, but in, in an overall sense, I, I just love music. And so I want to create music, whether there's a purpose or not, doesn't really matter. Your personal mood or emotions before you take the stage, before you perform, can that affect how you play? Uh, I, it shouldn't. I, uh, they, you know, they say, forget whatever troubles you're going through, whatever you're, you're dealing with in your life, you forget when you're on the bandstand. It, it's, uh, it's in, in that way, it's sort of like being an actor. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm not necessarily sad when I'm playing a sad song. I'm just trying to, to create that, that atmosphere. So it's a little bit like, like, uh, being an actor. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of how to create 
create the atmosphere that I'll want to create. And that it's not necessarily what I'm feeling at the, 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 but, but I don't really, you know, like I said, whatever, whatever's going on in my life, I, I don't take on the bandstand with me. Once I'm on the bandstand, I'm fully concentrated on, on doing what I'm doing. Well, is there a mood that you set before you go on stage? Is there any kind of ritual or anything like that? No, not really. Um, no, the, you're in so many different situations uh, in in your in your career. Um, to give you to, to give you an extreme example, I was I was on tour in Spain uh, for a promoter, and then another promoter asked me if I could do a concert in, in Germany. So I had that day off in Spain. So I said, yes, I can do that. So I flew from Spain with very little sleep because all the gigs in Spain are late. So, you know, I probably played until two or three in the morning and then had to take a six or seven o'clock flight to, to Germany. Um, I went from Spain to, to play a concert at at a, a Europa Park, which is sort of like a German version of Disney, Disney and something like Disneyland. It's an amusement park, and I showed up and and we're playing in the Spanish part of the park. So I went from the real Spain to playing in a fake Spain in Germany, and uh, I I fell asleep and they picked me up at the airport in a, in a van and I fell asleep because I hadn't had any sleep. I gave the van door opens and there's a television camera and they, they said, thank you, Harry, for coming. You're on. And they just put, threw me on stage. So, you know, there's no, no, uh, there wasn't a chance to, to do anything just, set the textbook up as complete, as fast as I could and, and run on stage. So you, you're in so many different situations that I no, I don't have a, a ritual that I do. Uh, just, uh, just get the horn out and go play. <laughs> I was thinking the, the plush luxurious life of being a jazz musician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, would you say that of the recordings that you have made, is there one in particular that you feel is uh, an an ex a particularly excellent record? Uh, honestly, I don't really listen to my records that much, uh, or hardly, hardly at all. Uh, I tend to feel that the the most recent ones are the the, the best ones because I'm more representative of what I'm doing right now. And, and hopefully I'm growing, uh, as you know, as, as I go, I, I'm growing and my, and, and improving and, and all that. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't have a record of mine that I say, Oh, this is just my favorite. Um, I have, I have some records that I, that I, I, I thought were, were, were good. Um, there's, there's one, there's one called New York state of mind with, with my uh, quartet, which was, 
uh, an especially good recording sound. The sound quality was good and the, the band was playing really, really well. Um, I, I was uh, very honored to, to be on a track with John Pizzarelli. Uh, I've, I've recorded a lot with John Pizzarelli throughout the years, but this particular one was, he did a Christmas record and, and he, they hired every major great arranger that was alive at the time uh, to uh, arrange one song each. And Johnny Mandel, who was one of my favorite composers and, and arrangers, orchestrators, uh, did did a, an arrangement for 52-piece orchestra on What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? And I the, was asked to be the soloist, so I flew out to uh, California. We recorded it with the orchestra in, in Capitol Studios, and that, that was a really special experience. Uh, I recorded with, with Ray Brown, which was great. You know, so so there are certainly highlights, but but I like I said, I don't really listen to my recording. So I'm glad that you mentioned Johnny Mandel, such a a fantastic composer and such a, a sweet guy he was. Yes, I'm hoping you can tell us about some others your your all time favorite composers. Uh, I think my my top. The the top of the top for me is Cole Porter. I just I think I I really think you know that people throw the word genius around and I think Cole Porter was a, a genius. I, he his songs were so special and so smart and uh, this section is like this section, but. A couple notes are different, and it's just uh, he was he was the best in in my opinion. I also love Jimmy Van Heusen, um, who, by the way, you know, wrote a lot with Johnny Burke. Johnny Burke was uh, was in the Navy band with my father. But, uh, Jimmy Van Heusen was is one of my favorite composers. I love Cy Coleman. I love Johnny Mandel. I love uh, um, Michelle Legrand, Henry Mancini, uh, of course, Gershwin. You know, I, I, I love uh, Jerome Kern and all uh, Harold Arlen and all, uh, all of them, but uh, Cole Porter is my favorite. I was listening to this interview that everyone out there can access from the wonderful jazz inspired show with Judy Carmichael. And you did a great interview with her. And you also made this album. It's a very interesting album. And I'm hoping you can just tell us a bit about this woman. What is Judy Carmichael like to work with? Well, Judy's a wonderful person. And, uh, you know, she's a, a wonderful stride piano player. And she's, she sings very well. And uh, she's also very funny on stage. So she puts on a, a really nice show. Uh, so it's a really nice combination of a, of a lot of different things. Um, so I, I I've worked with her throughout the years. We we actually wrote a bunch of songs together. We uh, put out a record of uh, songs we wrote together. And uh, I I'm not playing in her band right uh, right now, but I, I was in her band her trio for for some time. 
and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we also share a love for tennis. <laughs> so <laughs> we would try to play tennis wherever we went. Something that you mentioned in that, that interview was how vocalists have actually had an influence on you as a, a saxophonist. Sure. I'm hoping you can talk about that a bit. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I, I, I love vocalists. I love the, all the great vocalists. I, I'm a, a huge Sinatra fan, a huge Billie Holiday fan, Ella Fitzgerald. Peggy Lee is one of my favorites, Rosemary Clooney. There's so many great, great vocalists. Um, and I, it, I like to phrase a melody how I would if I were a singer. Unfortunately, I'm, I can't sing. I can't carry a tune <laughs> at all. <laughs> so singing is not an option, but I, I like to uh, play, play the melody as, as if I was a singer. So, uh, I take a lot from the phrasing of somebody like Sinatra or, or Ella and uh, try to incorporate that into my, my playing. I'm hoping you can tell us a, a, about the kind of stuff that you do listen to. You said, I don't listen to my own stuff, but are you someone, are you listening to a good variety of things? Well, I, I, I listen to a lot of jazz, of course. I also love Brazilian music. I listen to a lot of Brazilian music. Uh, I love classical music. Um, the, those are the three main main forms of music that I love. I, I, yeah, I occasionally listen to some other, something else, but those those are the, the the big three. And I don't listen to that much classical, although I really love classical music. So, a lot of jazz and a lot of Brazilian music. Is there anything we would maybe be surprised at by what you by what you listen to? Um, nothing that comes to mind. I, it's, it's not like I have a, a secret uh, <laughs> love for the you know the Backstreet Boys or something you know. Uh, not in particular. You, I, you, you probably wouldn't be shocked at, at the at my my listening taste. What about Pharaoh Sanders? He just passed away. I was wondering, did you ever get into him? You know, I, of course, I've I've heard heard Pharaoh Sanders that he was one of the one of the all time greats. Um, is not particularly a big influence on on my on my playing, but uh, I was very sad to see, see that he passed away. I'm curious to know what kind of, what kind of things tend to inspire your own writing when you're composing something, how do you get that going? Well, you know, I, I heard a great quote, uh, talking about, talking about, uh, novel writing but it, it applies to music too so yeah it's it's really easy you just stare at a blank just stare at a blank piece of paper until your eyes bleed <laughs> so it it's one of those things where you, i i could sit down and and write three songs in 
in 20 minutes, or I could sit sit down and and try to find try to find some idea that I like and and completely spend hours not not coming up with anything. Um, you know, I try to uh, I try to write something that's that uh, you know. There's there's a couple of r- real struggles with composing. I'm sure that it was always like this, but especially now that there's so many great songs have been written, um, you either you either write something that sounds totally different and and maybe a little strange because of that, or or you write something that sounds like something else, which is isn't good either. So I, I try to come up with some some balance, uh, something that that doesn't sound like another song, but 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 sounds like it it could be uh, something that was written by one of the one of the great composers, you know, uh, and you try to have something that sticks in your mind and is, is memorable. Um, and, and also with my playing, I, I, I like to, and the composing, I like to think of trying for something that is unexpected, but still logical. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to write something that's unexpected if it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But to, to make something that really makes sense and then you go, oh, yeah, if you, the listener goes, oh, yeah, that's, that's uh, oh, I, 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 yeah, that I understand. That, that's exactly what, uh, what could come after that, but, but unexpected also. So, so it's not, uh, you know, so, so it's, it's not uh, mundane. Do you have a particular tune of yours that you are the most proud of or is a favorite of yours? Um, it sort of goes, goes, uh, comes and goes that this, uh, you know, recently I've, <clears throat> I've uh, got just started to realize I'm probably very late to the party, but just started to realize that uh, I'm, CDs seem to be going out of fashion with mm. especially with the fact that you can't listen to them on computers anymore and you can't listen to them in cars anymore uh, uh, and CD sales really have taken a downturn you know in over the the last decade or two but especially recently so I just started releasing singles in digital format only so if you have spotify or if, or if you go to itunes and stuff you can see all my my uh, my latest releases I, I have about six six so far releasing about once a month uh, the next one comes out this this coming week uh and a lot of them are, are my own songs so that there's a few uh recent ones that I, i'm very proud of one one that has not been released yet that i that I, I think is a nice song uh, is called The Solitary Willow. That'll be coming out in the next few months. And I, I just, uh, I just, my latest release was a, a song of mine called There Should Be. And I'm, I'm proud of that song. But it's good. My, uh, oh, and, and uh, another song I'm very proud of was, was a song that uh, 
I wrote with uh, Hillary Gardner. Hillary Gardner wrote wrote a beautiful lyric um, to this song. It's called "The Last Best Year." I recorded it with Mike Renzi, the great piano player who died uh, this past year. Uh, it's called the the record is called "Rhode Island's Famous for You," but the the song is "The Last Best Year." All right. Well, how how are you liking this new? model of instead of you know you wait to get 12 tracks together instead with spotify apple music and all that that you mentioned it's just it could be every three weeks or it, you know if if it if it's six more months later you just come out with this single yeah well, you know this uh like everything in life there's good and bad points you know i i've uh, i've been lucky enough to record a lot so i i've made over 70 i've had over 70 cds released under my own name and so i'm i'm used to recording that way and uh, i i recorded for bmg japan for many years and we did we would do two two records a year so it seemed like i was always working on a project to, to record for them and uh and that's the way i've always been used to it so it's a it's a big change to to do it this way but there, there's there's nice things about it that, you know in some, uh in some ways i i felt that the the lps recording an lp must have been maybe nicer than cds because it's you you have less songs and you can really spend more time concentrating i you know, i think the i think the uh the length of the record dates didn't change you just had to cram more songs into the <laughs> into that time so you on a cd you you want the cd to be 60 minutes long so that could mean 10 11 12 13 14 songs uh uh, so the, it, here you can you can really just concentrate on one song. You get one song done, and that's that's what you're you're looking to release. And so that, that that's a nice part of it. Like I said, good good and good and bad parts. It's if you're just doing a digital release, it's, it's much cheaper than printing, whether it's LPs or or uh, you know vinyl or CDs. It's much cheaper. Um, so that there's a higher profit margin, but uh, but you don't have the ability to sell them on on gigs. So it's it's, a, it's half a dozen, you know, six of one, half a dozen the other. <laughs> so I was reading so many different pieces that were written about you and reviews of your work. And I was curious, is that something that matters to you? Does it does it matter what a reviewer says about a particular album or or something that you do? Well, it, the best the best way is to not is to not care. You know, of course it's nice to get a, a nice review and it's of course it's of course nice when somebody says something really nice about you. Sometimes sometimes I, I read a review and I and I think, 
well, this guy really understands the music. And sometimes I read reviews and think they, they don't understand the music. But in the end, I, I'm not really taking to heart what a reviewer says about me. Much more to me is what, what the, my fellow musicians think. So I, uh, like I, I always, I always tell myself, if, if a reviewer tells you you're terrible, I'm not going to believe that. So why should I believe it when somebody says, uh, I'm the Frank Sinatra, the tennis saxophone, you know? Interesting. Well, on that note uh, of your peers, your fellow musicians, but also your fans, has there been something that someone told you a compliment or just something that they noticed that was like the biggest compliment to you? It meant the most to you. Sure. Well, one that just happened, the, 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 the bass player I played last night with in Germany told me, and it, it, it was just one of the nicest compliments I've ever gotten. He, he, said, he said that in his, in his career, he's never worked with somebody who, who picked such the right song for, the, for each point in the set. And he said, you, you really picked the perfect song for for at every point in the set and i thought wow that's a that's a really nice compliment uh yes of course i've gotten compliments from people uh that that really were special one of the biggest compliments one of the things i'm most proud of is i did a record with ray brown and then ray brown asked me to do his 75th birthday tour in europe uh so that was probably the biggest compliment of, of them all. Somebody that we lost a, a, a couple of years ago, really nice guy. And also the, the father of John Pizzarelli, Bucky Pizzarelli, someone that you've worked with. I'm hoping you can tell us your memories of Bucky. Sure. Uh, first of all, Bucky was so supportive of me and, so great to me throughout all the years. Uh, he was, he got me my very first gig in the New York area, subbing for Zoot Sims. And uh, he was a great guy. Of course, as, as you know, an amazing musician, an amazing guitar player. Um, I just count myself lucky that I was, uh, that I knew him for so many years and got to work with him so often. We, we did many tours together. We did many recordings together. And, and uh, I, I loved his playing. I loved, uh, I loved being around him. And what a, what a special, special musician, special guy. Something in particular I wanted to ask about. I was listening to your interpretation of, and this is a song that has just been recorded by so many people from singers to instrumentalists. Your interpretation of Over the Rainbow. Can you tell us what exactly inspired that and what was there a particular version? How did you come about doing that? Because it's really, really marvelous. Well, thank you. Uh, well, one of my favorite versions of that song, um, well, two of my favorite versions this is the one from the, the movie and, and Ben Webster's version of it, I think, is really really great so um well while we while i was recording that 
I recorded it with John Pizzarelli and his trio. Um, and the piano player was Ray Kennedy, who was a great piano player who sadly passed away. And, uh, and he made the, a, a comment as we, you know, after we recorded, like we're listening to the playback, and, and he said, Oh, I understand. I understand that this, this whole track is only about the tenor sound. It's not about playing anything hip or a way of doing it that's hip. It's all about the tenor sound. I said, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. But um, it's such a beautiful song. I'm just playing the melody straight, and it's, it's all about a beautiful melody and, and the sound of the tenor. Have you gotten a lot of compliments about that particular track? Um, not particularly I, that, that I can remember. Uh, not not any any more than anything else, as, as as I recall. So, what is coming up? What's uh, you mentioned this track that's going to be coming out, but. Anything else coming down the the pike? Well, let me see. I, I'm uh, I'm going to be more or less in Europe for the next few months. I, I go back home uh, a few times. I'm playing at a jazz festival in Roswell, New Mexico. Um, when I get back from here, then I then I tour France, and then and then uh, let me see. I'm then a, a, another tour of Germany after that. I'm uh, have a concert in Sweden coming up, uh, Rome, and uh, and have a, a list of uh, a list of releases that will be coming out. Uh, one one that I'm very proud of is uh, I wrote a Christmas song uh, called "Christmas Is Here." Can you feel it? And that'll be coming out in the middle of November with a, a beautiful vocal by Eddie Erickson. I, I love Eddie Erickson singing. Uh, so that's coming out in the middle of November. I'm just going to keep releasing releasing songs and keep touring and playing my raggy old saxophone. <laughs> You've gotten to play with so many great artists. We've talked about some of them, Bucky Pizzarelli, John Pizzarelli, uh, your biggest influence, Scott Hamilton, we could keep going on and on being able to make these great records and tour, visit these different places. Would you say, is there a best thing about being Harry Allen? Well, you know, every day I, I think of how lucky I am that I'm able to make a living playing the saxophone, playing music, doing something I really love. And, you know, you get you get some compliments that that really hit you. I, you know, I've had people come up to me and say that that they've been sick and they they haven't been able to to leave the house and and they they finally made it out to this concert and it and made them feel alive again. And you know, um, last night a woman came up and said that she's from Ukraine. And that hearing hearing this music uh, was really special for her. Uh, so you 
you're touching people's lives in a, in a really nice way, uh, hopefully for the most part. And so that, that's, that's really, that's really special. And, you know, traveling around the world, you get to see a lot of different places and meet a lot of different people. And, and it's really, it's really special. So I'm, I, I'm always grateful and, and honored that I, I'm able to do this uh, for a living. Well, Harry Allen, it's been great to visit with you from across the ocean. I always like to leave the last word to the guest, and it's totally open-ended. You just never know who's watching, never know yeah. who's tuning in. What would you like to say, no matter where that person is who's who's tuned in with us, what would you like to say to anyone who's joining us? I would just say that... Uh this is obviously a very strange time for the world and you know music is music is an important part and i think that that we all have gotten um because of being locked down and uh we've all lost sight of of some things like for instance me personally i was a huge baseball fan and I just stopped watching baseball mm -hmm. and I haven't gone, gone back to it. And I, I think there are a lot of people that have been that way with music or, or, you know, used to go out to the movies, but you never don't go out to the movies anymore. You, you, you watch it on Netflix and the music you, we had to go to a streaming online streaming things. And, but live music is, is very important. And I, I hope, I hope the I, I I really appreciate when people go out and support live music, and I and uh, I think it it does the world a lot of good to to have live music out there. And I hope I hope things get back to normal soon, and where people are are going out and supporting supporting things just just like you know just like always, because I I think it's important. I couldn't put it any better. Get out, make it to the show. So tell everybody what's the website. Well, my my website is uh, harryallenjazz dot com, and uh, you can. Uh, <laughs> I don't have my schedule up on the website, but I do send out a mailing list, so you can go to the website and sign up for my mailing list, and check me out on Spotify and iTunes, and uh, you can order my latest CDs. I've that uh, another thing I. I didn't didn't mention, but when the lockdown happened, I I had already wanted to make a record at home, so I had about half the equipment I needed. So as soon as the lockdown came, I said, "This is my chance." I ordered the rest of the equipment, and I I put out four four or five CDs throughout the pandemic uh, that were recorded. At, at home so uh you can order those through my website and uh and see uh by some videos and and, and stuff and uh, and and i designed the website myself i coded it myself i figured with the with nothing to do with you know nothing but time during the lockdown i said let me figure out how to do this myself. <laughs> so I did it myself. Talk about uh, 
prolific. You're just cranking out albums like crazy, building websites. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so took me about three weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry Allen Jazz.com. Harry yes. Allen, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been a great pleasure. Well, thank you. It's great to talk to you. All right, sir. You have a good one. Yes, you too. Hello? Hello? Hey, it's me. Are you here? You're still here. I just wanted to talk to you for one moment and say thank you for tuning in. It does mean a lot to me. Whether this is your first time listening to one of the interviews or you've come back, I have nothing but gratitude that you would check out my work. It's kind of a peculiar thing to now be in the 19th year of these interviews, but I'm glad to be here still doing it. There have been so many fascinating guests, and I thank every single person who has come on to talk. Most of all, I thank all of you. Some send in emails or they write me messages online. Folks write in from places around the world, people young and old. Some I'll never meet, and others maybe someday. I value hearing from all of you. I think often of many of the things you all have told me. So what do we have in store for the year ahead? I've got some ideas, but you just never know what's around the corner. It should be interesting, or here's hoping. That's all I have to say for now. Until next time. You know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you. Listeners, viewers, please go to thepaulleslie.com slash support, and you'll know what to do when you're there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who contributes. Performance of The Entertainer intro song by John Primerano. And of course, this is your announcer speaking. See you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.